This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors in the financial industry. Outer Blue by Amundi. Welcome to Blue Research. Knowledge sharing on financial research. Hello, and thank you for joining us for our Blue Research podcast. Today, we'll be examining a paper published on Amundi's Research Center website entitled Inequality in the Context of the COVID-19 Crisis. As you know, the issue of social inequality is not new and is something that we at Amundi have talked about a lot. But in the context of COVID-19, has this phenomenon been accelerated? Well, I'm joined now by the authors of that report, Jean-Jacques Barberis, Head of Institutional and Corporate Clients Coverage, Bastien Droux, Senior Strategist at CPRAM, and Théophile Pouget-Abadi, Business Solutions and Innovation. Firstly, the issue of social inequality is becoming a major one for various global economies and for investors, both institutional and retail. Can you explain to us how you define social inequality? Sure. Um, So social inequality is a concept that covers a wide array of phenomenon, income inequality, inequality of opportunity, and so on. Broadly speaking, it refers to an unequal distribution of resources, either in terms of outcome, so say revenues or wealth, or in terms of access to opportunities. And here we can think of access to education, to health infrastructure, and so on. So the growth of social inequality is a stylized economic fact that has accompanied the third wave of globalization since the early 80s. It has increased in nearly all countries, although at different speeds, and countries' position will differ based on their tax systems, uh, their social transfers, and so on. And in fact, reducing inequality is one of the sustainable development goals that's been set by the United Nations, and number 10 to be precise, and rightly so. Inequality comes with a heavy price that we all have to pay. So of course, first and foremost, those who are directly affected by it, but also societies at large, corporates, and investors. And this price of inequality can be understood in terms of slower economic growth, limited social mobility, and growing social unrest, mistrust in institutions, et cetera, et cetera. And perhaps one final point uh, to kick us off. There is a tight link between social inequality and climate change. And it's been increasingly proven that they tend to reinforce one another. So for instance, in a 2019 paper, two economists showed that the ratio between the income of the richest and poorest 10% of the global population is 25% larger than it would be in a world without global warming. Before the crisis, it seemed that investor interest in social issues was quite limited. Now that's no longer the case. Why the change of mindset, do you think? Thank you very much for the question. Uh, I think we've seen clearly uh, an evolution uh, in the past years. Um, And maybe to um, precise where the investors are coming from when it comes to how to address social inequalities as an investor, uh, it's important to remember that I think there are two fundamental reasons behind that evolution. The first one is that I think investors have perceived in the last years that growing social inequalities may have very strong, deep macroeconomic consequences through the political channel if you allow me this expression, meaning that a too high level of social inequalities in a country 
may have some very severe political consequences that at the end of the day may be value destructive. And I think the perception of that has been has increased in the last in the last years uh, in the context uh, of a normal uh, of a geopolitical events rising of so-called populism being probably uh, the main uh, element of that. So that that's the first evolution uh, that explains why more and more investors do care uh, about social questions at large and social inequalities in particular. The second one, it I think is due to the progressive evolution of the intellectual equipment of investors vis-à-vis this issue. Uh, if I summarize it a little bluntly, in a way, I think we're living the moment where the Washington consensus is progressively disappear, disappearing or vanishing, uh, meaning uh, the consensus, the intellectual consensus of on which we've lived in the last almost 40 years, he's now put into curves. And the social questions are now more and more considered as something key to have a look at in comparison to the previous, I would say, general dogma that was among the, the financial players. Uh, and this is something that we've measured uh, at Amundi, uh, looking uh, at the way the social, the S factor uh, in the assessment of a company behaves and has price pricing effects on the market. So for instance, we've made a study showing that between 2016 and 2019, if you were to invest in a European equity universe with a strong, I would say, overweight of the S factor in comparison to other factors that would generate another performance. It doesn't mean, to be clear, that social performance has an impact on financial performance of companies per se. It means that more and more investors have increased their demand for companies they believe have social profiles that are, let's say, more desirable uh, or uh, that are better uh, in the way they address social questions. So it just shows that there is increasing demand from investors to invest in two companies based on that kind of criteria. Uh, and uh, this is an evolution, and we can discuss that further afterwards, that we do believe we has already been reinforced by the COVID crisis and will even be more reinforced in the months and years to come. Why does the COVID-19 crisis constitute the tipping point when it comes to social issues? So the pandemic should allow us to turn a corner, so to speak. And that's because uh, prior to the pandemic, there were two bottlenecks that investors faced when seeking to tackle inequality at their own level. So on the one hand, a lack of consensus, which made it hard to anchor any investment policy on solid ground. And on the other hand, a lack of methodological tools. So just on the consensus, what we mean by that is that as of today, there is a lack of global consensus on the levels of inequality that is deemed acceptable from a social and economic point of view. So for instance, there are wide uh, differences between Europe and the Anglo-Saxon world. And also, there is a lack of methodological and technical tools for investors to integrate this dimension into their investment policies. So the good news is that we believe that should the pandemic significantly increase inequality levels around the world, like we expect it to, the debate on what levels of inequality should we strive for will become moot, 
we will need to reduce inequalities no matter what, no matter where. So the consensus, consensus question is out the, out the door. And also, at Amundi, we've developed a one-of-a-kind methodology to enable investors to participate in the necessary reduction of inequalities, and we'll come back to that a little bit later. So, a first point on the, uh, on the consensus. The health crisis has put the issue of social inequality in the limelight. Social inequality is fully embedded in the pandemic itself. Everywhere we've seen inequality in the face of the disease, where the most disadvantaged social groups and regions have paid the heaviest price, inequality in terms of access to care, and inequality in terms of the response to the, to the disease. Again, partial de-schooling, mass closures have hit the most vulnerable populations the hardest. And at the same time, the pandemic may have shifted our views on the social hierarchy. So in the fight against the pandemic, we have valued manual workers in industry, services, and agriculture who have formed the lifeline of our social and economic life under containment. And this is an unprecedented wake-up call for many. Well, I think it's important to, to underline that uh, income inequalities have uh, risen a lot in developed countries since uh, the 80s. And for several reasons, uh, we can think of uh, globalization, we can th think of, of the fall of uh, marginal tax rates. That's uh, causing uh, a lot of problems uh, in developed countries. We have seen some uh, demonstrations uh, in uh, developed countries over the past few years. So uh, this uh, this crisis is uh, is taking place at the moment uh, where inequalities were becoming uh, more and more central topic in um, in uh, advanced economies. So, uh, as this crisis, as because of this crisis, inequalities will, will rise. Uh, we definitely think that uh, this constitutes a, a tipping point for uh, concerning social issues. What, in your view, might some of the social consequences of the COVID nineteen crisis be? So, I, I, first, I'm going to speak about um, the impact on the labor markets. Uh, what is very clear, what we already observe, is uh, that unemployment will rise everywhere. We have seen that uh, almost 40 million people are for unemployment benefits in the U.S. That's uh, the same in Europe. A lot of uh, people are unemployed. And, um, for instance, we have uh, an organization like uh, the International Labor Organization uh, estimating that several hundreds of millions of jobs could, uh, could disappear at, at the global level. So, uh, it's important to have in mind that uh, unemployment is the first source of uh, income uh, in inequalities. And what is also very striking with this crisis, with this COVID crisis, is that low-wage workers have been hit more than the others. Uh, we, we have seen that uh, high-wage workers, they can work uh, remotely. That is, I mean, they have more often uh, the possibility to, to work uh, re remotely. So definitely the impact will, will not be the same for the low-wage workers and for the high-wage workers, and that, that will increase income inequalities in um, advanced econo uh, economies. 
And then we, we can also say that the, the social consequences are terrible. Uh, we, we see that the food uh, insecurity has risen in the U.S., but also uh, in uh, European countries. We, we have uh, seen some uh, food uh, shortages uh, leading to riots, for instance, uh, in Chile. And what we can say globally that uh, academic studies uh, show that uh, inequality uh, tend to rise in the years following uh, pandemics. So definitely uh, we, we can expect inequalities to rise in the coming years uh, in, uh, in, in, the com in the advanced uh, economies because of the rise uh, of unemployment, uh, because of the rise of unemployment. So that's, a, that's the first reason, I'd say. So you've explained that inequalities increase after pandemics. What could be the solutions to address them? So uh, there are, of course, uh, several possibilities. Uh, there has been a, a very interesting initiative in the US uh, with the raise of the unemployment benefits by six, $600 per week. And when you think that uh, the federal minimum wage in the U.S. is just uh, $290 per week, uh, it, it means that uh, as a consequence, the replace, replacement rate, it means the ratio of unemployment benefits to lost earnings has been uh, above 200% for some low-wage workers. That's uh, definitely something uh, redistributive, that's something uh, positive. But the problem here is that uh, this is a, a, a temporary policy and it will end at the end of, of July. And more generally speaking, we can imagine uh, the implementation of, uh, of uh, social policy policies uh, with the increase of uh, social transfers to the most uh, disadvantaged groups. Uh, we can also think of a uh, uh, incentives for wage revaluation policies uh, for the lowest incomes. And there, there has been a lot of uh, corporations or governments uh, saying that uh, they, they would give uh, one-time premium for uh, the essential, essential workers. Uh, in some cases, it could uh, also lead to uh, permanent uh, salary increases for essential workers. So that could be one part of the solution. And I would add, uh, I think it's important, uh, as uh, already uh, pointed out by Theophile and Bastien, uh, to understand where we are coming from on the social inequality front before the crisis. We were already, historically, before the COVID crisis, at an unprecedented level of inequalities within almost all the social liberal countries except a few uh, at the European level that have a very high level of uh, public expenses uh, compensating uh, a little bit, uh, I would say, uh, the natural market effect, uh, if you allow me that expression. Uh, so it was an unprecedented level of inequality before the crisis, with even, I would say, new form uh, of inequalities appearing that were have not been seen in the history. Uh, I take one very uh, specific example, uh, for instance, it is well documented that in the US in the last 10 years, we've seen a progressive collusion between the higher wages and the ones that are the capital owner. Uh, during decades, you have a disconnection between the two, basically. Uh, it was not the same people that were the capital owner 
and having the highest wages. Now they are the same uh, and it means we're coming from a moment where most of the added value produced by economies uh, was, uh, I would say, concentrated in a limited number of hands. Uh, as explained by Bastien, clearly uh, the COVID crisis uh, is uh, going to increase that even further and to accelerate. And therefore, uh, I think it's very important if you try to be in the shoes of, of an investors for one second to consider that the question shall not be uh, just a short term one. It's not only about the shorter time of public answers we can have vis-a-vis -vis that question. Uh, it's something that has become fundamentally structural in most of the Western economies and the emerging economies. It's a little more complicated and therefore that will probably push for uh, very strong evolutions uh, at macro level. Uh, if, I, if I give a few examples, uh, uh, if uh, you consider, and that's, I would say, a strong hypothesis, but let's make that hypothesis, that most of the social contracts in Western democracies are at the moment put into cause by the level of inequalities, it means that policymakers at some point in time would like to fix it. Uh, and fixing it goes basically by running policies that in the end have one general macro impact, which is a new share of value added between capital and labor. Sorry to be a little Marxist there, but I think it's good to go back to the basics. Uh, it means all the policies that were mentioned by Bastien uh, already, which means potentially higher capital taxes, which higher wages, etc., etc., will have very strong and deep profound macro implications. And these need to be taken into account by investors more and more in the future. This being the case, what key elements should investors be looking at? If you're trying to be in the investor's position, uh, I think there are two things you need to look at. Uh, one is on the macro side and the second is on the micro uh, side. Uh, on the macro side, clearly, uh, we do believe that things investors should care about is equipping themselves in their capacity to assess the evolution of economy uh, by integrating the social and inequality question in their, uh, I would say, assessment toolbox. Uh, it means, for instance, in very practical terms, that at Amundi, for instance, we have created a social inequality score uh, at macro level for all the OECD countries uh, that we intend to use more and more in making our, our assessment of an economy of a country apart from the traditional indicator we are all used to work with, such as GDP, GDP per capita, inflation, etc., etc. Uh, because uh, this type of score gives you, uh, I would say, uh, an indication of potential evolutions in this country afterwards that needs to be taken into account when you're doing your macro assessment. So I think that's the first thing, uh, equipping yourself uh, in the, from the macro perspective and, and not only by, by having general consideration, okay, social inequalities may lead to political risk, that's it, but really trying to make an in-depth assessment of that. Uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is what do you do at the micro level uh, when it comes to investing into companies? Uh, and uh, this is, uh, of course, uh, extremely uh, complicated to do. Um, we strongly believe that here uh, there are two things uh, that can be done. 
based on one fundamental element of rational. If you do believe that more and more social inequalities is going to be on the plate of policymakers, if you do believe that the answers to the question will be probably tough, therefore that will have implications also for companies. I give you just a very simple example. Uh, I personally strongly believe that companies that are uh, massively using tax optimization in the future will be more and more penalized uh, by regulation uh, and that uh, the open bar period uh, is going to close on that front relatively quickly and probably quicker than we think. This is something you need to take into account as an investor when you invest into a company. And therefore, uh, really trying to understand what could be the consequences for companies that have very poor social behaviors, uh, other examples, the ones uh, making the assessment of the way companies are running their wage or compensation policies. I strongly believe it's also going to be a very important indicator of the value of a company in the future, notably for your reputational effects. You need to equip yourself in making that assessment. And at Amundi, we developed a methodology, a methodology there. And there is a third thing you can do that I didn't mention at the beginning uh, is, uh, as an investor, is to engage the companies uh, based, uh, I would say, on your own social agenda, let's say, uh, if you do consider that it's going to be a critical question uh, in the world after or the world we're already living in, therefore, uh, this question should be part of your engagement agenda. And that could be linked, as Theophil was mentioning at the beginning, with other topics on your engagement agenda, such as climate change, because, and this is a little teaser uh, for a conversation that will come uh, later on, um, we do believe that more and more what we're going to see it's the progressive, I would say, collusion uh, or uh, identification of the social issue and the environmental issue at the same time, and that the fair or just transition agenda is going to be one thing that is going progressively to impose on the agenda of all investors. Well, thank you very much indeed. Jean-Jacques Barberis, Head of Institutional and Corporate Clients Coverage. Bastien Drou, Senior Strategist at CPRAM. And Théophile Pouget-Abadi. Business Solutions and Innovation. And thank you very much indeed to you for listening. I do hope you'll join us again soon for another Amundi Blue Research podcast. This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors as defined in Directive 2004-39-EC, dated 21st of April 2004, on markets in financial instruments called MIFID, investment services providers, and any other professional of the financial industry. Views are subject to change and should not be relied upon as investment advice on behalf of Amundi.